This is a Federal News Network podcast. From chemical safety to data security, the Environmental Protection Agency has a range of management and performance challenges in 2023. The list was developed as legally required by EPA's Office of Inspector General. Here with some of the details, Acting Chief Strategy Officer Adam Seafelt. Mr. Seafelt, good to have you with us. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. And I just have a question about your job title. You are acting, and with that understanding, the title of Chief Strategy Officer is something you don't hear a lot of in OIG. So tell us what that job is all about. I think people will be interested. Sure. Currently, the office I manage is called the Office of Strategic Analysis and Results. And it has two directorates. One's a data analytics directorate, and the other one is called Strategic Planning and Initiatives. And so my responsibility as the chief strategy officer is to kind of be forward thinking for the OIG and be able to plan out ahead as the title suggests. So for the OIG in general, thinking of strategic areas that we can potentially go into in the future. On the data side, thinking of ways to use data analysis, data visualizations, data acquisition, those areas and trying to improve those areas. All right. So you have the list now of the eight areas that the EPA needs to deal with. Let me ask you this. Is this the list of the same things they always have to deal with, or are these particular eight something that are of special concern and there's 80 others that seem to be okay? In other words, how did you come up with this list of eight items? So these are seven of the challenges um, have been around for the last couple of years, but this year we did add an additional challenge, our eighth challenge, And that challenge deals with infrastructure and the money that's been appropriated through the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law. And what is EPA's connection to what might be happening under the infrastructure law? Under the new appropriations, EPA is going to be responsible. They're going to have essentially an unprecedented level of funding under this act to the tune of around $60 billion over the next five years. So the EPA is going to be challenged to prevent fraud and promote efficiency with this new money. So as part of our task, we provide the oversight to make sure that there is no fraud, waste, abuse, or mismanagement, trying to detect and prevent that sort of thing. Got it. The infrastructure projects that will be pursued throughout the country may be funded by different agencies, often have an environmental oversight component to them. Almost everything anyone does in the country runs through an environmental review. So is some of this money to help the EPA make sure that they're up to that task Because, say, for example, Federal Highway Administration got tens of billions every year for five years. So every road they fund, in theory, could require an environmental impact statement. A bulk of the money that the EPA will be getting under the Infrastructure Act, it's going to be centered around partner programs such as the Clean Water and Drinking Water State Revolving Funds. That's where the bulk of this money is going to go. If the EPA and its program partners do not conduct the proper oversight for these sorts of, we call them SRFs, then the infrastructure projects are going to be at an increased risk of fraud, waste, and abuse. So it's going to be our job to provide the oversight in those areas. And part of that oversight includes not just fraud, but to make sure that what gets built meets standards for the water it actually delivers? That is correct. Okay. And looking at the other list of seven items, a few, well, they're all important, I guess, But one is providing for the safe use of chemicals, for example. This is a core EPA program. There's an Office of Chemicals, I believe. And what is, say, the challenge there since it's been an ongoing function since the inception of the EPA? 
Yeah, so for this challenge, the public must be able to depend on the EPA's ability to conduct credible and timely assessments of the risk posed by things like pesticides, toxic chemicals, and other environmental chemicals. So you mentioned an office, you know, there's an Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention, for example, that faces deep staffing shortages and a lack of planning that could negatively impact critical chemical work. So this is an example of the sort of challenge that could be facing the EPA. So it's what the GAO might call a high-risk area for the EPA in the coming year. Potentially. Sure. And the other one I wanted to ask you about is the need to protect critical infrastructure agency systems against cyber threats. Every agency faces this. Is the EPA pretty well positioned to deal with it, do you think? They continue to work. You know, it's always a work in progress. They're making progress. We just released a report recently our audit team did dealing with water and cybersecurity. So I encourage everyone to go to our website and look at that report. It just recently came out. So the cyber threat and challenge, that touches upon the idea that, you know, information technology, it's fundamental, essential resource for the EPA to carry out its mission. And the agency really needs to ensure that its systems and our nation's critical infrastructure are protected from cyber threats. You know, there have been instances recently in the news about such things. So an example of a challenge in this area is, you know, with the EPA's systems and networks interfacing with other internal and external systems and networks, including the internet, and the significant number of remote workers, EPA data becomes more vulnerable to threats and cyber attacks. So this is a challenge for the EPA to manage. We're speaking with Adam Seafelt. He's acting chief strategy officer at the EPA Office of Inspector General. And the last one I wanted to touch on briefly was the idea of safeguarding scientific integrity principles. And this is something we've seen come up at a lot of agencies over the last few years where maybe there's political influence over what a policy that the staff comes up with, this kind of thing. What is the issue do you see that they need to watch out for in the coming year? So safeguarding scientific integrity principles, what that touches upon is the idea that the EPA must ground science-based decisions in principles of scientific integrity to ensure that human health and the environment are protected by using the best available science. So, for example, the EPA has identified numerous actions it has taken to promote scientific integrity. You know, despite this, the OIG has found examples in which some parts of the agency did not complete required internal peer reviews of scientific documents, for example, and they did not follow standard operating procedures and requirements for scientific assessments. So moving forward, this is a challenge that the EPA is going to have to address. Sure. And what has been the agency's response so far? Do they say, yeah, you know, Adam, you're right. We're going to get after these. They're working on it. They're aware of them and they are working on them. It's across the board, really. And just briefly review the process that you go through to come up with these particular recommendations. So we get input from various sources. So the OIG, EPOIG, doesn't come up with these TMCs, the top management challenges in a vacuum. First of all, the TMCs, I'll call them TMCs just for brevity, they're forward facing. And so we draw upon our own staff, work experience, agency input, public comments, Those are the type of inputs that we use to develop the TMCs. So it's not strictly looking internal to the agency, but looking at regulated parts of the world that it deals with, for example. Right. We get input from everywhere. So is it safe to say that these top 
eight management challenges. They were seven. You added one this year. This is going to drive the oversight agenda for the OIG, too, as well, right, in 2023? That's right. And it's important to note that the TMCs, that's what we use at EPOIG to inform our work. And so our audits, our evaluations, our investigations, they are essentially, in general, they're tethered to these top management challenges. And also, too, we have an oversight plan each year that we develop. That oversight plan is also tethered to these top management challenges. So the oversight plan is composed of our plan projects, our ongoing projects. So each year we also tether those TMCs to our oversight plan. Right. So nobody in the agency should be shocked when you come around and look at those particular areas then, should they? No. And in fact, it gets back to the point of, you know, how did we come up with these TMCs? One of our um, inputs was the agency itself, leadership uh, and staff. Adam Seafelt is acting chief strategy officer at the EPA Office of Inspector General. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate it. And find this interview along with a link to that report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Take the Federal Drive wherever you go. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they are, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn, uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, DC. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story. Like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell. Like he he faces everything with optimism, and 
And, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at special olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded yeah. everyone is equal at special olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot but you go to special olympics and everyone's involved everyone's welcome everyone's equal and I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you, when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to 
create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.